I question how do you make things not transactional? How do you keep them free and open? But then at the same time, how do you keep the people sustaining? And I think sustaining is probably a really key thing, key thing right now. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Chai with Rai, a life and culture podcast diving into the mindset and business of being a creative. I am your host, Rai, and each week I bring you a guest or a fruitful message or something delicious from the creative industry or while sipping and spilling some hot chai. Now, if you haven't done so, make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. If you love this podcast and are listening to this on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Audible, or wherever you are streaming your podcast from, if you could do me a kind favor and make sure to rate the podcast down below and share it on your stories on social and spread the word it organically grows the show and connects us with listeners who haven't tuned in before and overall as i always say it just shares the love also if you haven't done so already you can now become a patron aka a supporter of chai with rye by signing up on patreon for five pounds or as i love saying it in this accent five dollars and fifty cents each month your subscription will help support the show but also get you exclusive behind the scene footages and some extra juicing things i'll put the link for that as well as all of the other information in the description of the episode so make sure to check that out so without further ado let's warm up our cuppers and let's dive into part one of this two-parted episode with choreographer dance artist artist overall facilitator and so many wonderful things Vidya Patel um, so we're gonna start with games and then we're gonna go into um, deep meaningful conversations these are gonna be just like quick rounds answer as fast as you can it used to be you have to answer within five seconds so what i'll do is the first round i might be like counting down like this just to give you an idea of how quick it needs to be but yeah. you'll get the gist of it so the game is called five second rule the first question is try around what are five uh, what are three things you need to do before you go to sleep um journal um have some ah! water oh 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 my god that's really hard that five seconds really, really hard okay wait um I also have to think sometimes I know the answers, but it takes me a long time to figure out what it is. <laughs> jaldi, jaldi, jaldi. I'll try, I'll try. Jaldi is also in Gujju, no? Like you also say Yeah, jaldi. yeah, that is, yeah. Jal- or oh, we do it without the D, so it's like jaldi, jaldi. Jaldi, jaldi. Like, yeah, jaldi, yeah. yeah I think... Jaldi, jaldi. Jaldi. I'm confused, it could be both. I did, y- y'all like to make your own things for a lot of, like, that's my, yeah. Um, my favorite yeah. thing, although, to say is Tosu Kapra Kadhiwe Nachwa Mando. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's my favorite thing. <laughs> or, or I'll just shout out the house. Gadheri nu kai kam nathi karto. You also have a very good, like, way of pronunciation. Baz. Guju Baz. Just hanging around. Maro loi piwe che. And wait, so that means four years have you been learning Gujarati then or have previously, have you? No, I knew some Gujarati already. You know, okay. okay. But literally being around mothers, Gujarati mothers and Gujarati grandmothers, you just learn like the best, the best. (laughs) Because I always say this, Gujarati people are undercutters. So like coming Mm -hmm. from Punjabi background, we say shit in your face and we will call you out. Gujarati people will be like, oh, that sari doesn't make you look all the way fat, but your face looks pretty. <laughs> like something yeah. like that. Or you used to look really healthy no. as a way to say now you don't. <laughs> so undercutters, I always say that. Yeah. 
Sindhi yeah, people are true. just like rich with money, so they'll just compliment you. So they're just like, eh, I don't really care if I hang out with you again or not. I've got my bank balance to deal with. <laughs> but yeah, I, I do feel, yeah, it, Gujaratis do, yeah, we have a tendency of doing that. Undercut. We're stereotyping. Mm-hmm. Already. I love it. I love it. That's the way to be stereotyping <laughs> our own communities. <laughs> All right, this is a question I play with my friends, which it which okay. falls on your current skill sets. So I've been watching mm-hmm. like lots of like wall destruction films recently, like President Evil 2012 and things like that. And I think, wow. yeah, I know. So imagine this is water apocalypse, like the world is sinking, okay? We're mm-hmm. like all dying. What current yeah. three skill sets do you possess to save humanity and yourself? So it could be, for example, I'd be like, I'm a really good swimmer. I can, but like, chat shit and make my way into the government saving building so mm-hmm. that would be my thing so like what would be your three things that you will do to save humanity and yourself through water apocalypse okay i think i'd be able to like gather people really quickly and be like follow me um the second thing i think i resourceful like could make things out of like few things and then including food and then the third i think i could chat my way into um into some way of help yeah 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 here for it all right That's um good question. thank you that it pulls ask your husband this because it really like literally pulls on people's skill sets <laughs> and you're just like oh, i'm not gonna be near you if the world ends <laughs> i don't think so yeah i think sometimes he knows me better or like is able to answer quicker in okay. certain things and i'm like oh yeah that that's right so he's fast there you go. He's fast. Yeah, he's fast. Love it. Yeah. All right. So in lots of, well, three podcasts that I listened to yours, which was on Sato Radio, was it Turkish Core and Dance Futures Podcast, all three of them, you lovelyly explain like there's eight da- in South Asian dance classical forms and blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. So in five seconds, can you name other dance classical dance styles other than Kathak Bharatnatyam and Odyssey. I'm going to count to five. Let's see if you can. All right, ready? Yeah. In, you, you cannot name all three of them. Okay. They're excluded. Four, three, two, go. Kathakali, Manipuri, and... Um, yeah. Chow. 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 <laughs> chow. Is Chow considered a classic? Because it's like more of a unagi you know sort of and you've i think it is now but do research because i think it is considered but i could have also made that up maybe i I think i think maybe well a quote let's go i have a search engine page here it is we have got pratnatyam kachipuri kathak odyssey satriya yeah, Satriya, yeah, Satriya, yeah. Satriya, Kathakali, Manipuri, and Mohin, I, I always forget. Oh, Mohinyata. Yeah, so Chow, I feel like, is a recent version that has been added on. Yeah, and maybe I of, get deducted one point. But lots of Bharatnatyam and Odyssey dancers want to learn Chow for some reason. I know so many. Did it's you do Chow for your film? Did you, sorry, you um, said. No, I think I didn't use it, but... I when I was like younger, we, I used to go to this thing called um, like CAT Center of Advanced Training, yes. and they used to have yeah. like for South Asian dance predominantly. And then one of the intensives, there was this amazing um, artist. His name is Santosh Naya, and yeah, it's right just right <laughs> <laughs> absolutely incredible. 
um, and he was teaching us. So we had like five days with him um, and we, we like learn, but he was just exquisite in the way that he could, yeah, do the form. He taught us like this whole piece. And I think that's probably my say, favorite piece that I, one of the favorite pieces I learned whilst I was in that program. And I still remember the music. Question, you teach intensive nows and you facilitate. I'm always intrigued by this, which is like, do you teach like tal? Do you teach like like certain tukras? Do you, but like what is in a, let's say a three to five day intensive, how much of, the, because obviously a lot of it after colonialism and things like that is still being decoded and still being found. So what yeah. the dance forms now are, are not necessarily what they might have been before. But I'm intrigued to know when you teach an intensive, like how much of, let's say for lack of a better word, syllabus, do you mm-hmm. teach versus your personal knowledge that you want to impart? Yeah, I I think that's a good question about that. And when I do these intensives, I think they're more been for like dance artists that I'm maybe working with or creating on so my information that I share would be really particular to what I'm wanting them to perform so like something some technique that could help them with some rep that I'm going to teach them later or to give them an understanding and I think it's highly dependent on like how many days as well like I try and teach like my practice predominantly and my take on how I would like people to understand the form. Um, because sometimes when you would, when you might go straight into like the structural side of things or the traditional way of teaching it, again, what is the traditional way of teaching it? But if you go into that way, sometimes it can just be like totally go over people's heads. And you, I don't want to be that person in the space. Like I want to make sure people find a way in for themselves. Mm-hmm. So I do it in a guided way. A lot of the time that I'm sharing the form, I do it in a guided way to introduce. And then much later down the line, if we have time, we'd go into compositions and I would give them a broad structure of like, say, 16 beat time cycle. But say, you know, this is like one time cycle and there's so many that then the rep is adapted for according to those time cycles. So I'll give them some information, but not, information that overloads and totally makes you feel like you can't do it Mm. because I think sometimes that's what's made the form really inaccessible is that the information is almost bombarded in a way that you may feel oh my god um this is unachievable I can't do this but I feel like there's so many different aspects that you can take on from different forms like you don't yeah, it, it depends what your aims are as well. But I think yeah, when I teach, it's definitely um, according to like what is the outcome or what is necessary for that group of people. What do they want? It's very subjective. And then just one question as you were speaking, a quick one, which is, <clears throat> do you find it harder or but less not challenging or joyful when you have somebody who comes off the same elk as you in terms of like, let's say being trained or speaking the same movement language as you, because I have found it in facilitation space. Sometimes that can be a challenge because there's their preconceived notions and their structure that's maybe being challenged as well through what I am facilitating or teaching. Yeah. I think it's really helpful because it also challenges me to find the right communication 
And I think one thing that I've found in like various spaces that I am like facilitating or guiding and, you know, we might have an outcome that we need to go towards or something is that I need to find a way to communicate as clearly as possible and what information do I need to find out? Like what research do I need to do to make that possible? So for example, who's in the space? Mm. What do they need? Are they from an Indian classical background? Okay, that's the terminology that I have that I can maybe share with them. Oh, are they Bali background? Okay, what will they need within that space that they can understand? Like if I throw some kind of terminology, that's just going to go right over. So like, how do I slowly introduce that if that's what I want or explain? So I think sometimes when I've been in those spaces, <clears throat> when I've been making work with people who have been from the Indian classical dance form, it has actually challenged me in different ways because I need to be able to guide them in a way that they're able to trust my vision of like, what are we doing? And I'm also really, what's the thing, mindful as conscious. well. Yeah. Conscious, conscious, that's the word, because I don't want to be, what's that word? I don't want to be like appropriating our form. Um. So almost the work is like, I feel like, especially if there's dancers like who are training all these styles and we might have to do something, we have to make a work which is about a certain theme. It's like trying to find a way in for us without appropriating it because again what's the difference then between me and a white choreographer mm. like you know what i mean like oh i'm just going to be making them do gestures here there and everywhere or like what is the intention of those gestures so i think it's always helpful to continue to like being in spaces where people you you don't know but also being in spaces where you have been on a similar training background or journey with some people as well and i think that's quite helpful because i think you always have especially as a lead like someone who's leading space or facilitating or creating i have to always like question myself as well like what is the intention of this or am i falling into something that i do not want to be falling into <laughs> whether that's appropriating or into a theme that actually that does not resonate with me or align with yeah. my practice and i think i always have to i'm like super conscious and trying to be like really alert about that i find that so interesting because like in the world that i have stayed in sometimes there's so many classical people that i've met even contemporary people who who like are just like fuck ethics and morals i'm just gonna do for the sake of doing so you i don't know if appropriating is the word but for the work you're just like the the line of that becomes so blurred because you just want to like go at it mm. so it's it's so interesting. Do you feel like you found that balance then? Or there's just certain things that you just can't let go of? Yeah, I think there are certain things that I'm finding that are probably part of my remit. Like if I go into a space, like I'll need to make sure I have this or have that. But I've only learned that because maybe I've been in a process where there's been a lack of that. Mm. Or there's been certain experiences where I probably haven't enjoyed that. <laughs> um you what? know and it's 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 not even like um it's not majority of the works that i've done with people i've enjoyed all of them mm. but it's more certain things like communication um like stuff like that with really probably i'd say three five percent of experiences have probably shaped the way that i now want to continue working 
or will just continue to inform me. I guess it's like red red flags that I've probably had on the way of my training and work. You've worked in theatre recently a lot as well, right? Because I was going to say theatre has a lot of things on safeguarding and the morality compass, which I have learned in maybe the last four or five years, which I don't think mm. I have seen as much in film and TV. Mm. See, I, I, my dance work is mainly in like theatre but dance theatre rather than like say drama theatre but I'm really interested in that Mm. space also and I think yeah because I work with lots of young people like safeguarding is a huge part of that and sometimes it reminds me of how little acknowledgement there is of that within like say Indian classical spaces or other spaces there is more practicing of safeguarding in those spaces but I think it's also like how often is that reviewed how often are people reflect like reflecting on that is the question and I think more that I work with young people um, I think that really informs as well like how do we continue this safeguarding actually for adults rather than oh it's just for young people yeah sort of thing (laughs) just do it (laughs) yeah so yeah I think yeah working with young people as well is um yeah very helpful ah not for me I hate kids get them out of my <laughs> there's too much too entitled especially I mean... like young kids anybody who's like under the age of 15 they just want to show off a lot of the times you know that's true I think I, I think it's good that you're honest about how you feel about it. But I really I really enjoy that part of my life. She agreed but with me. Also... That's all I'm saying. She agreed <laughs> with me. No, I think it depends on what spaces as well. Like, have they been in dance training? Like, I guess again, that's a certain type of young people. They've been through dance training, and they might be used to a certain way or form. Uh, or like going into a school where they literally don't have any dance training and they come from theatre and they need to do dance. Like that's another like a challenge of like, okay, how are you going to approach that? But yeah, I quite like working with young people. I see you're going to be politically correct this interview. I'm going to get you into some... No, no, no. Oh, you worry. Don't you worry. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to propose to you three questions and you can only answer one because we're short for time. So the three questions are in five seconds, you can either name three other famous Patels than you. Okay, so that's the first question. You can either answer that. The second question I was going to ask you is three moments in your life or career that you have gone like, shit, this is really happening. Okay, interpret that however you want to. Or the third question, three moments in your life or career that have been the most challenging but have bettered you and you have learned a great amount of lessons from. So out out of those three questions, which one would you like to pick and answer as quickly I think the second one, because the third one in, it requires too much thinking. Okay, go on. Yeah. So three moments in your life or career, you have gone, shit, this is happening. Okay, this year, when we were, I was with Abby and Risha of Orchestra Kavali, we were in um, Dubai, and it was with A.R. Rahman. Like, A.R. Rahman was performing there, and I was like, shit, like, shit, this is happening. Like, and we were watching the performance before, and there was like a orchestra that was singing um Genaya. and I was like oh my god like well jamming this is great and I think I was like shit this is happening now and then 
yeah, I think it was exciting, but I was also nervous because then after his performance, he went and sat there and then he watched the whole gig. And I was like, well, yeah, I think that was a shit this is happening because I think it didn't click until then. Got it. Did you relax that off to him? No, I, I, um, I, yeah, you, during the dance, you know, like, yeah. yeah, acknowledgement, acknowledgement, but not too eye to eye, you know. <laughs> you could have just done this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Keep that third wall there. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, second one, shit that is happening, definitely like uh, when I was getting married, I was like, whoa, this is actually happening. But it's more of my registry where I think that clicked because I was like, whoa, this is legal. This is real shit. Like, this is, <laughs> this is like a big thing. I think, yeah, before I was walking down the aisle, I was like, definitely like, whoa, we're doing this. And then the third one, I think, oh wait, okay, another one. He's probably career related. This was when I was doing like BBC Young Dancer and yeah. I think I was I was quite nervous side of stage, but I was like, oh, this is this is going on now. Like, bloody hell, this performance is going to be filmed. But also, I, I kind of had forgotten about that, but I was like, yeah, this is all happening now. Like, forget about practice. I should have, like, you know, practice is done now. It's bloody the po- moment that, I'm doing so, yeah. but it's also a solo. I always say this: like it's a solo. If you fuck up, you fuck yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like you recover. That's a great thing. Yeah. Like if you're dancing with someone, which you did do a duet as well, right? Like I saw. Uh, yeah, yeah, I uh, did with Jaina and yeah. then like some musicians, beautiful musicians. Shall. That you're if you just freeze up and you. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a possibility there, but yeah, solos are great. Solos are great. When was the last time you did a solo piece? Um, well, well, this year I've only been doing like rep work, say uh, with Orchestral Cavalli with Abby and Rochelle, and also only with um, Thick and Tight. I don't know if you know them. Danny and Elena, they do contemporary works that are um, inspired by different figures. I do one which is Churchill. So my oh. the piece that oh. I perform is Empire. And I am Churchill. So, um, yeah, they do a lot of uh, work in queer spaces, LGBTQ plus um, inspired work, has a lot of lip sync, um, political uh, sort of images and like uh, messages. Okay. Um, but also, yeah, I love performing with them and like they've really helped me a lot. Like the mentors, uh, super cool work. If you get to see their work, usually it's very much, um, it used to be on at, um, well, still at the Ducky at, at Ducky and um, like I've performed there too like probably one of the best performances experiences that I've had um in life um but yeah they they regularly show their work across like London UK and elsewhere okay well I'd say if you remember all of this I always say this now to people as well send this stuff to me and I can just put it in the show yeah notes. yeah yeah I definitely will um, but yeah those have only been my two solos this year and then last year I did like a Catholic one but it was like to a private audience in November um but yeah next year like hopefully working towards like more solo um work performative have you performed at my favorite venue which I don't know why it's one of my favorite venues to watch classical dancing the Bhavan Centre. <laughs> Do you know what? Surprisingly, I've never done a solo there. No. Um, would love to. I've only done it in so- ensemble with yeah. like my teacher uh, and it was like oh, a group of us there. But yeah, I've never never yeah. actually... Such a small space and they make such good use of it. That and the VNA, I do love seeing those two. Mm. Yeah. I know something about the VNA, like having performed there as well, I just, I feel like there's something about being in that space, there's something really special about it 
But you got to perform mm-hmm. at Tate, which I'm also envious of because that's that you perform great. in the Great Hall, which is where I want to do my piece one day. Do you know what? It's a beautiful space to yeah. be in. And I think that just that whole day just went so fast. We were like, that's it. It's done. It's done now. <laughs> but you did a, how many performances you did? We only did two performances, yeah. but we did like over 100 workshops over the space <laughs> of two weeks. So yeah. it felt quite nice to be able to be in that space. All right, well, let's get into um, deep, meaningful conversations. I will say it's really hard to ask you dance-related questions because in a lot of the interviews, in the TEDx talk, in like the other bits that you've done, there's so much that has already been explored. Okay. And so much that has been talked about that I'm just like, oh, I don't want to ask that same boring question, but even though it was answered for me already. Um, I think what I'll... <laughs> Well, thanks for listening to all that stuff because I know they're long and yeah, thanks for listening. No, they were really fun. (laughs) They were really fun. And that's where I just said you should do voiceover work if you haven't already done it. Thanks. I'll look into that. I I haven't haven't looked into it ever. You should. You should. I really think you should. Um, My main question, which I really, really, which I think we've kind of really touched on already, but... um, I'm really interested to know for the amount of time that you have worked, explored as an artist, as a dance artist, as a choreographer, as a facilitator in so many roles, what do you feel like you've learned about yourself and your practice that stands out to you and that really calls out to you in terms of the work that you do have done and want to do and the person who you are and you know are going towards and then just an offshoot question which i'm really intrigued about um Mm -hmm. does kathak have similar to bharatnatyam and odyssey speciality so you know how some bharatnatyam dancers will be like i'm known for my abhinaya so Mm -hmm. i'm interested to know does kathak have that and would you say within your your world there's something that really you're like i'm banging at that nobody Mm -hmm. can touch me when it comes to that Interesting. I I like both your questions there. Um, and I think I'll start with the second one. First, yes, Kathak does have like you can be really good at this. Also, there's the umbrella of Kathak, and within that you've got Lucknow Garana. So it's like the schools of Kathak. So you've got the Lucknow school, you've got Banaras, Jaipur, and like all of these have different specialities and elements. Like Lucknow, the one that I've trained in, um, is more like the work of the wrist so it's called like kalai ka, you, know, you know the work of the kalai yeah. and um like because it was so close to north the north it is you know Lucknow has a lot more Mughal influence there was a lot more influence from that time that you don't see like in Banaras because geographically that's much more away from like the north north so I think yeah, in um, the Lucknow style, you have that more. And I think for me, not that like I, not that I think I'm the best at this, because I think there's a lot of amazing Kathak dancers, especially now, like across like the UK, there's like some banging eyes. So I think. No, but this me, is about nobody can touch you when it comes to this. This is your shit. So it's mm, fine. You can be like, this is my shit, and I'm really good at it. I think I'm quite musical when it comes to like like as in obviously I don't play a musical instrument but I think 
I really like um, improvising to music, which I think, you know, sometimes it's not always easy to do that. Yeah, I like doing that. And also I think I'm obsessive about things that it's more sometimes it affects my practice in a good way that, you know, sometimes everyone's not obsessed about things. Yeah, I think that's really helped me because I'm not like in class. I'm probably like, you know, all right. But it's about the obsession, like what you're obsessed with in it. I don't know. That. Got it. Got it. <laughs> All, right. All right. And the first question? Oh, yeah. Things that I've learned along the way about myself and like yeah. I think a big one that I've learned is that I do know my shit. Like, I think that's <laughs> that's like a thing that I've like I'm trying to give myself more confidence as well like yeah I can be in spaces and speak about that because yes I've got experience in that and I think I've learned to stand up for myself more and like others which you know I wouldn't do that on the first year that I'm starting actually I I did kind of I I like doing that like not standing up but you know if something is not fair if that pay's not fair like come on when you get paid I I think I I like to like stand up or like advocate for things, and I think I've learned that more as the years on have gone on. And I think my as an artist, I'm probably more curious about like what I can bring out of other people mm. that they may not know about themselves in terms of their practice, but also myself as well. Like that's why I think I really enjoy doing lots of different things that maybe like slightly related to dance, but then also they're like a totally different thing. Um, so I think I really enjoy like challenging myself through other things in a way so that I just don't get labeled as just a dance artist or just a choreographer. And I think all of us have so many elements that we can actually offer and bring into a space. But sometimes it's like, might take like that person to like just show you, oh yeah, like, do you know you could do that or like oh yeah mm. so I think I yeah I enjoy doing that and also I, I quite enjoy like leading spaces a lot um or just being in control <laughs> I control freak or not I, no I get I that. Like that yeah I think it's interesting I've just picked up on something which you said in one of your interviews which you were talking about two things and this line stood out to me you said you were talking about experiences and inhaling, I'm paraphrasing, inhaling different experiences. So like like your paint, you go to different galleries, like um, music concerts, you were like going to different things to inhale different things so that you're able to tunnel vision them or add quali- different qualities to your life. And the second thing you said when working, I think the interviewer asked you a question, which was like when you work with dancers who are trained in your same discipline, how do you function in the room? And you said at that point, paraphrasing again you said my job becomes about decision making mm. which yeah, i think yeah. such a movement direction thing that mm. i i think for me now it really becomes separated what a dance artist is what a choreographer is and what a movement director is and decision making mm. is such a pivotal point in an artist's life on how we evolve how we facilitate the room how we take hold and I think that was really beautiful what you said about that. And I wanted to ask you a question, which is in decision making from, from a career perspective, and we spoke on this briefly, is having achieved the amount of things that you've achieved, do you now a feel like there's a pressure or a burden on you 
to be a specific way, create quality of work, a specific way, scale of things that you do? Or do you have that personal sort of, I want to do that, or you don't have that and you have the trust in your experience, your network and everything in being like, no, I'll get commission. No, I'll get work. No, I can make something really intimate, something really that is just for five people and they can be off the street versus I can make something for a commercial space such as like Sadler's Wells. I think lots of things that you mentioned there, firstly, like, thank you for um, saying that. And I think, yeah, decision-making is quite important like especially I think when it comes to artists you're like every decision has a and sorry I get my my husband tells me when I say decision I, I think a bit differently but anyway uh you say decision <laughs> decision decision decision, decision. Just, it becomes a bit of a blur but um that word basically yeah but I think it is quite um it has been quite important for me especially now like I don't think it's a pressure or a burden I think more the pressure not I wouldn't say it's pressure but I say it's motivation for myself comes to be like okay what can I now do with these learned skills what can I now do to get people more employed what can I now do to have this maybe in another way in that space or like build these new connections but I think it's always got to come from yourself I think when it comes from external people that's when it can become quite problematic like oh I should have done this by now Mm. or I should have done that well that person's doing that so I need to do that but I think it's really important to also have that happiness for like your peers and your colleagues to be like yeah they've done that and that's incredible and sometimes being happy for others can also, I think, alleviate that sense of, oh, I should have done that. I don't know if that is, yeah, that's, I'm clear in what I'm saying, but oh, okay. almost having that supportive community or just being happy for what other people are achieving can also not alleviate, alleviate you from your pressure, but almost be a motivation to be like, yes, we are all so unique because at the end of the day, I think that's what's really key that everyone is doing such unique stuff. And it's like, for me, the motivation is how can I do better with the skills that I know, but also keep learning like different things. Like right now I'm really interested in theatre, so I want to learn more about that. Um, and yeah, probably wouldn't have been like five years ago because my, my mind was in different ways. So I think it's so individual, but also like right now I'm being really proactive because I can't be only reliant on commissions. Like, and also I love commissions and they challenge me in a certain way, but I think sometimes, especially me, like I'm finding ways that I can challenge myself through other experiences or what other experiences or things would I want to challenge myself in that way that I know that is a challenge. Like, rather than oh you need to do this and this is to this brief um it's very specific but it's external like what is my internal like thing so yeah that's where i'm at right now um in terms of last question on discipline and then we'll do fire rounds which is i have had so many classical dancers on and obviously i'm aware of like bug and like so many things in the work that they do and 
Akash and so many other things. And you've talked about accessibility and passing down the knowledge, but let's not say everyday person, but to people who it's not accessible to. And I watched Uday Shankar's film and knowing his kind of like journey in how he got to where he is and now what his academy, his organization do. I am always intrigued in that, like Horton Technique, for example, or like Alvin Ailey and so many other things, there isn't a, other than Bollywood, there isn't a a a line or a class of something that's like a drop-in class or a syllabus mm. that you can like, let's say, go take a pineapple, you can go take at like dance works and things like that. And what I fail to understand is I get that everybody's trying to like accumulate all of this information and understand like how we're going to take ownership of all of these classical styles and then facilitate work and do things like that. But what I fail Mm. to understand is like the balance of that and why that hasn't come to a, a platform yet where we can do that as a community and bring other people in. And then also, how do you balance choreographically or artistically all of those things whilst you're in the creation process? I think, yeah, such important points there. And I think that is something that I question a lot as well. Like these forms have been going on for so many years. Yet when you look at hip hop as a, like that's fairly new. There's a fairly new dance form and yet it's so popular or the the ways that they are performed and experienced by people has are so popular. And again, there's lots of different factors that come into that. But yeah, I, I similarly I'm questioning that and like, you know, with Ode Shankar, there's Shankar technique and you can really find a formulated way of um, working through that and finding out the technique of that. And I think for Kathak and Bharatnatyam, there are few classes that are happening now, like with at the place. I know there's a few classes that happen. And it's more it's really good that they've began, I think, Shivangi um teaches there. But I think there does need to be more of it because it's not being accessed in those spaces where by people who are interested in dance. I maybe want to say commercially more. But say in the commercial space, like, yeah, how is that accessed as well? And like, how is this information shared more wider? So when people need that skill, like, are they able to do that? Like, say, when ballet is part of the remit of like a brief, like, yeah, how could, yeah, I think that's a really, I don't know if that answers your question. No, it's a thought that gives it, but now then in your choreographic process, how do you intertwine that? And do you go towards like, I don't know. I think about it from a perspective of where I am at. Like if I had all yeah. of that knowledge and I had the headspace where I'm at, I'll be like, yeah. I think I want to create something. But then I also know how the classical community works. And I know so many dancers that start doing that and then they get vilified by the classical community a lot of the times. Yeah. I, I think for each, like each dancer who's training or learning those classical forms, they'll have their own ways of how they want to share that and I think what you said is really like key because it has been on my mind and I think through my choreographic work like sometimes my choreographic work you don't actually see the form but it might be the foundation of like something that we've done in a task or something that I've shared like there's an element of it but 
I think, yeah, as a thought, it is some, yeah, it is part of my thinking of like how can something be shared? How can be how can the form be shared in a way? Or is it the form or is it the practice or is it my practice or is it, mm. yeah, what does that look like and where does it sit? But I think I'm not, I'm not scared of what people would think. I think definitely, like, I think now, like, I'm just like, you know, you just got to do what you got to do because at the end of the day, it's about yourself, your life, and also, like, bills. Like, that's yeah. a huge part of it. Like, as well, like, come on, we've all got to live and we can't be doing free work forever. as well. Yeah. Forever. I think I think that's the thing. And I, and I know there's conversation about how do do things then become transactional? Or, and does that take away from like the beautiful nuance of like oral tradition and things back in the day, especially in the Indian classical dance form, there wasn't that thing of like, I pay you, you teach me, I pay you, you teach me. And I think now we are in a culture like that. So yeah, I think as a thought as well, I question, how do you make things not transactional? How do you keep them free and open? But then at the same time, how do you the people sustaining and I think sustaining is probably a really key key thing right now also because you know contemporary and ballet and opera will have funding but then it comes down to more of the underrepresented um, communities and people that are probably more hard hit because Mm. they don't have those structures or teams that can help to deliver things that say something more established and again things that are more established will also have those challenges they'll have different challenges but i think yeah underrepresented groups and people who may not have that infrastructure are really hard hit when it comes to like funding funding cuts and all of that so Well, everyone, that brings us to the end and I hope you enjoyed that. I will put all of the information for the artist, the Patreon channel in the descriptions of this episode. So make sure to check that out. This was part one of a two-parted episode. Make sure to keep an eye out as part two will be coming out soon. Don't forget to share this, comment, do all of that juicy stuff. And as of now, I will leave you as I always do, which is breathe in and breathe out. (sighs) Namaskar, (laughs) which is copyrighted and I will sue. See you next time. Stay curious.